0: It is a delight for me to be with you again. And uh, need I tell you again that uh, my wife and I pray for you every day and have for 20 years as we've watched the ministry of Colonial Baptist Church take form and substance. And uh, I am thrilled to see what God is doing here in Cary, North Carolina. And I appreciate you praying for us and supporting us as missionaries. Uh, Little did I know that uh, when my wife and I moved to uh, Norfolk, Virginia in 1958 that we would be there, now 51 years, winning and training the military for Jesus Christ. And the ministry then would branch out to other cities, other countries. We've been in France, now ministering to French sailors for 37 years. We have been ministering in Ukraine with Russian-Ukraine military. For just a little more than a decade. And tonight by the Black Sea. There are a group of uh, military from different countries around Ukraine. Who are meeting in family camp that's directed uh, by our uh, staff over there. And so it's been a great privilege for me to see how God has worked in the lives of so many military. Who are scattered around the world tonight on probably every continent around the world who once came to missions to military as a sailor, soldier, marine and uh, of course the great joy is when your own children serve the Lord and so our great investment uh, in Cary, North Carolina is your pastor and uh, we, uh, we never lose sight of that. It doesn't matter how old your children are they're still your children, right? And our dad give me ten dollars We are living in turbulent times, and I don't need to tell you that. But as I was thinking about these moments that I would spend with you, I was thinking of the word anchor. I'd invite your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. I'm going to take this verse and then uh, come through the back door on my text that I really want to share with you from the book of Matthew. But I think if if no one this summer has shared this verse with you, uh, I want you to see it. Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul that in earth within the Baal are into his presence. This is possible because Jesus is our forerunner. He is the one who has run before. He's explored literally. He's gone into the holy of holies and there he is tonight for every one of his children and for anyone who wants to ascend to the throne to begin a new life in Jesus Christ. The word picture here is that of a harbor. And the author of Hebrews is saying that here is a safe place to drop anchor and the haven of rest. And the reason that it is a haven of rest and the reason that it is a secure anchor place A place to drop your anchor is because it's within the veil and as you read the book of Hebrews the way that you enter within the veil into the Holy of Holies is through prayer so I'm saying to you that prayer is an anchor in a turbulent time I'm sure that many of you know that but you know I always need to be reminded that God has for me for all of his children, a place of anchor in the haven of rest. That's an immutable fact, as he says in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. That's a sovereign promise. The great question is, how do I apply that immutable fact in my life? That is, how do I discover the secret of prayer as the anchor of my life in a turbulent time. As your pastor said, I've been saved now about 60 years. And I'm only in kindergarten in the subject of prayer. I would only like to share with you some simple principles that I've learned along life's pathway where I need an anchor for my life. And I found the principles always true. For those principles turned with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. I always love to hear the rustling of the leaves. I know that I'm in a good church when I hear the rustling of the leaves of a Bible. That should be normality. But I'm afraid across the country today, one of the reasons that we are in turbulent times is the Bible is not the authority of most people. It is a great day of dawning when you discover that this book is the authority of life. And that my access to the one who inspired this book, the Holy Spirit, and the one in whom the theme of this book, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to commune with me, wants to commune with you. And as I read this portion of scripture in Matthew chapter six, I'm mindful that it's never too early to pray. But as I read the Bible, I discover that for many people, it is possible to be too late to pray. In fact, as you read the story in Luke 16 of a man who fared sumptuously every day, he died and entered the school of prayer. And you can read the context in Luke chapter 16. Begin about verse 19. Not right now, but I just want to tell you the story. Because most of you know the story, but You know, it's an alarming thought that this man prayed too late, and he learned something too late. He learned, first of all, that Hades was a real place, that Hades was a place of fire. Hades was a place where he prayed really for the first time. His prayer wasn't answered because he prayed to a man. By the way, it's the only place in the Bible where someone prayed to a man. He prayed to Abraham. But he prayed too late. He prayed for a drop of water and he discovered that his prayer was not going to be answered. Though he prayed fervently, sincerely, genuinely, but he prayed too late. He found himself in a place that he had made a choice. He knew he was beyond hope. And so all that he could pray was oh, if you'd just send someone, in this case, Lazarus, to go warn my brothers that they will not come to this place. So what a privilege it is while well, we're here on planet Earth. Well, your heart is beating to encourage you in one of the greatest privileges ever given to mortal man, and that is to pray. How do I put this awesome thought into practical application in my life? I'd just like to share four thoughts with you from this text in Matthew 6. The discipline of prayer, the discernment of prayer, the definition of prayer, and the delight of prayer. And all of them are found in just these few little verses in the book of Matthew. Let's read them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets that they might be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet or enter into the room or Uh, Into a secret room. And when thou hast shut the door. Pray to thy father which seeth in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret. Shall reward thee openly. But when you pray. Use not vain repetitions. As the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard. For their much speaking. What a simple passage of scripture. That Jesus is giving to his disciples. I I could understand why. Why? as it says in Luke 11, when, when Jesus ceased to pray, the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. How should I pray? The first challenge that I found in my life is the discipline of prayer. Taking time to pray. The discipline of time. When do you pray? Do you pray? Do you Pray or do you say a prayer? I said prayers for the first part of my several years in life, but then one day I prayed. It is possible to say prayers. But since saying that first prayer 50 years ago, I've discovered there is a great challenge in taking time every day to pray. The psalmist said in Psalm 5:3. My voice, O Lord, shalt thou hear in the morning. He had discovered a secret of prayer, that the morning was the gate of the day. And like the gate of the cities of David's time, if that gate was secure, the whole city was secure. And so the morning was the gate of the day, and the psalmist knew that if the the gate of the morning was secure, the day would be secure. And so he said, Lord, Every morning, in the morning, I want to lift my voice up to you. Or as he said in Psalm 95, oh, come, let us worship. Let us bow down our knees before you. Why? Because I need to pray. I need to take time to pray. Oh, as he said in Psalm 27, 8, when thou said, seek my face, my heart said, Lord, thy face will I seek. Is that how your heart responds to prayer? When thou said, seek my face, my heart said, Lord, I want to pray. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to enter into communion with you. One of the great challenges is that to pray is, it's really impossible to pray half-heartedness. No other experience in life must be entered into with every, mi- every part of my being, my mind and my heart and my soul. If I don't engage my heart and my mind and my soul in prayer, I can't really pray. Because God knows my heart. He knows my thought. He knows my being. H- and so I've discovered that there must be a discipline of time. In other words, if I haven't decided that I'm going to set up Uh, Aside a place and a time to pray, then I've allowed something else to set its priority to manage my time. How important is it that I pray? I believe it's the highest act that a Christian can enter into, and that's communion to pray. There's a discipline of time, but also there's a discipline of finding that place, as I said. I believe that one of the great secrets of learning to have a quiet time with the Lord is that you've determined a place where you're going to meet with the Lord. The light is there. The chair is there. It's a quiet place. It's a private time where you're going to engage your mind and your heart in your soul, and you're going to pray to your heavenly father. You're going to make a rendezvous with eternity. You know, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, rose early in the morning because he wanted a place to meet with his father to pray. If it were important, if it were imperative. For the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal one, to meet with his Father early in the morning, and sometimes at night, and during the day, if it were imperative for him, how much more we frail creatures need to take time every day to pray. But I can assure you that unless you determine a time and a place when you're going to pray, Hours and days can slip past, and you miss the great opportunity of the day. Have you discovered that a day without prayer is a day without blessing? Have you discovered a life without prayer is a life without blessing? But Daniel would rather spend a night with the lions than miss a time of prayer. That's how important it was to him. And I believe that someday when we cross beyond, we will discover that one of the greatest privileges that was given to us on planet earth was coming to the throne of grace as a child of God, boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, and enter into our communion, our relationship with the God of heaven and earth. The discipline of a place. You can choose. He will meet you wherever you choose. It might be at your desk in the office. It might be in your automobile. You know, it doesn't matter the place. But that's an assigned place that you're going to determine to meet with him. On your schedule. And on his also. I think of the discipline of the motive. Why do I pray? You know, God not only hears my words, but he knows my thoughts. The psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. You know, when I pray, that's really the only way that I can pray because God knows my motive. Search me, O God and know my heart. Oh, ye shall seek me and find me, when you shall search with me for all your heart, Jeremiah 29 says. God wants my motive to be right. Because you can ask and receive, not because you ask amiss, that you might consume it upon your own lust. And so when I think of just putting this anchor of truth and hope into my own personal life, I realize there is a discipline of time There is a discipline of place. And there is a discipline of motive. And all of those are responsible in my hands. It is my call. It is my choice. It is my privilege. Think of that. But as I read this. He says yes. When you pray. When you pray. Enter into the closet. And shut the door. In other words, there is a discernment in prayer. Into the room by yourself to pray. Why? Because I need to shut out the clamor of the world. I need to be alone with God. I need to be alone with the Lord Jesus. I need to shut out the world and be shut in with him. And I need that experience every day. You see, because when I shut out the world and I'm alone with God and my heart and mind and soul is engaged in the Word of God by the Spirit of God and fellowship with Him, I discover fresh the character of God. No place do I discover more the character of God than in the hour of prayer. The seraphims cried in Isaiah's day, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And you know, when you get alone with the Lord, you discover that yes, God is holy. He brooks no rivals. But I also discover that God loves me. He loves me. He's holy, but He loves me. I discover that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. some men count slackness. And he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Oh, to discover the holiness of God is I shut myself out from the world and shut myself in with him. I discovered that all of the promises, and someone told me there are 30,000 promises in this book. In 1 Kings eight fifty-six, it says, Not one word of all these good promises have ever failed. 1 Kings 8, 56. Good verse to underline your Bible. Have you discovered that not one word of all the good promises of this book have never failed? They've never failed me. They've never failed you. And this is the promise, John said. Even eternal life. Oh, the privilege of discovering the character of God and discovering the promises of God that he is faithful, everlasting, eternal. But then I discover when I'm all by myself with God, I discover the purposes of God. What is God doing in the world tonight? He's calling out a bride. He's calling to himself a peculiar people that is a people of his own choosing uniquely his that's the grand purpose of god i'd like to think that god was straightening out the world but if i really thought that i'd see that god was making some great mistakes because i don't see the world headed down the path that i the, the corridor that i'm in in fact my eschatology makes me very comfortable because I believe the next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church and he's going to catch away his bride however he said occupy till I come because the purpose of God is to place every Christian every one of his children under mandate Jesus said all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel And you know, there's no place where that crystallizes more in my heart and in my thinking than when I bow in prayer before him. God has a plan. God has a purpose, an eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. And to think that God would include you And to think that God would include me in the eternal purpose that God has. That he's going to populate heaven someday with redeemed sinners. And by the grace of God, one day I saw myself helplessly lost. And discovered he loved me. And provided a plan, a redemptive plan on the cross of Calvary. Where I could have access to him. Oh, in those moments of prayer I learned a couple things about the character of God. First of all, I learned that the only approach to God is through the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. You see, that's exclusivism. That's exactly right. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The only way that you can have access to to that majestic throne of grace is because of the mediatorial work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. When he cried out in agony, Father, it is finished. He had fulfilled the law. The law was satisfied. And guilty sinners could now come in simple faith and trust that finished work and have access to God. Marvel of marvels. I never want to lose the wonder of it. But I also learned that not only I can have access to that throne through that finished work on the cross, but I can't really pray apart from the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for. The Apostle Paul said, you know, in most of our Bibles, that's plural, infirmities, but it's really singular. I'm just one big infirmity. And anyone who tries to pray discovers soon that I'm just one big infirmity. But the Holy Spirit lives within me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father in me, that will I do. Just ask in my name. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive. Why, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Why, because the Holy Spirit who lives within the believer wants to prompt you, wants to, uh, wants to uh, encourage you to pray. And so he says again in Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But he that searches the heart, Knows what's in the mind of the spirit that he maketh intercession. For the saints according to the will of God. Oh dear friend of mine. The secret and the joy and the privilege of prayer. Knowing that I come to that throne of grace. With no merit of my own. He's not pleading my case in heaven tonight. They'd throw my case out. I threw it out 50 years ago. He's pleading his case on my behalf. His case stands in the courts of heaven. And I am justified tonight on the basis of his merit, on the basis of his finished work. I can come in prayer to him with confidence, knowing that God is satisfied with what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. He handed you and me the receipt, an empty tomb. He's alive. He wants you to pray. Oh, could I encourage you to the great advantage that the world says you don't have time for to pray. What is prayer? He said, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and shut the door and pray unto thy father. That's the definition of prayer. What is it? It's petitioning. It's supplication with the Father. Think of that. A mortal man, a finite creature, in fellowship with the infinite and eternal. I know the Muslim religion never expects to hear from Allah. But every time you pray, you can expect God to answer. Because he's aware of every petition and every need you have. And so he tells us, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What is he saying in Ephesians 6:18? He says, "Come, Yes, there's perseverance. There's obstacles. Why? Because I'm in enemy territory. I'm on my way to heaven, and the only way to get there is through enemy territory. And that's real. And so what is the secret of life? Well, the definition of prayer is simply this. I'm not praying to idols. Prayer is not a technique. Prayer is not mechanical. Prayer is not a ritual. Prayer is not even a course in seminary. Prayer is communion. Prayer is fellowship. You can come just as you are. Of course, the Bible teaches there could be no hidden agenda. Because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth his sin shall have forgiveness. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate for the Father. Oh, the invitation of heaven is to come. And the reason maybe I don't come more often is because I believe that I can do what needs to be done without him. What a tragedy. What blindness. Growing in spiritual maturity is not being able to handle the challenges of life more adequately by yourself, but it's the recognition that I need Him in the smallest details of life. So, the delight of prayer is that He said He would reward you openly. Well, that is a delight of my heart. And it's a delight to your heart if you enter into that secret, privileged time of prayer. How does God reward you? Well, I think of Vernon, a sailor who came to Military Christian Center, Virginia Beach, a few weeks ago, and as I was witnessing to Vernon, I, I tried to explain to him what salvation was, and he had a lot of religion. He'd gone through college and studied a little religion. But he really didn't understand that salvation was a free gift and it was personal. So finally, I turned around to a board and I wrote John 3.16 up on the board. And instead of whosoever, I just drew a line. And I said, Vern, whenever you really want to settle up with Jesus Christ, you know he died for the world, but now coming to grips that he died for you is a new beginning of life. So I'll just leave this blank here. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning he came up to me in church and he said, Keith, did you see what I wrote on the board? I said, no, I, I haven't been out to center. her uh, this morning. He said, well, he said, you need to check. And what happened was he wrote his name in there. John three sixteen became personal. For God so loved Vernon that he gave his only begotten son And once he put his name in there, that verse took on new meaning. So Vernon went back to the ship. The ship pulled out and went to Mayport, Florida, where we have another ministry to the military. And uh, they befriended him, and they also befriended other fellows on the ship. And one of them was Corey. And Corey was far from God. He knew little or nothing about Christianity But he saw the kindness that Christianity brought about, and so their ship pulled back into Norfolk, Virginia about two weeks ago. He came to the center and sat through Bible study and sat through the routine of center operation, a free meal, friendship, and all of those things. And then one of the staff had the privilege of leading him to Christ, I'll never forget, as he stood in that circle, and his hands ringing, here's a muscular sailor, said, This has been the blackest night of my life. I've never had a family. Tears running down his cheek. He said, I've never had friends. I've never had a church. But I've discovered this reality in Jesus Christ. In the last two weeks, he's been back in the ship, and they said, Corey's got religion? That can't be. He's got salvation? Oh, no. It'll soon pass away. The delight of prayer. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. That he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Does God answer prayer? Yes, God answered prayer. Prayer is an anchor in a turbulent time. And the reason that I need to pray. Is because there's an enemy of my soul. And he's smarter than I am. He's a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's a serpent in Genesis. He's a wolf in Matthew, in, in John. He's a dragon in Revelation 12. He's an enemy to my soul. I need to pray because there's an enemy. I need to pray because this is the means that God has set For his children to receive their needs and their life. Could it be that such a simple privilege like this. Praying to your heavenly father. Would be such a struggle. And such opposition. Yes. Because Satan knows. When the church prays. When Christians pray. Something happens. If you ask me, what is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? Individually or in a missionary organization, I would tell you without hesitation, it's people to pray. Do you realize that the first meeting after Pentecost in the church was a prayer meeting? You read the book of Acts and 30 times plus They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed in the book of Acts. In the life of the Apostle Paul, over 55 times it says that he prayed or he was involved in prayer. The pristine church was a praying church. And I'm saying to you tonight, dear friend of mine, and I'm no alarmist, but as I look out across America, I'm convinced that what we need is second Chronicles 714 in New Testament language but as it says there if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways we will hear from heaven and I would say to you and I'm no prophet but I would say to you and I'm sure that most of you would agree that we are in a predicament in our country tonight. Unless God's people pray. I'm not sure. What quarter of time. And place. We're facing. We need to pray. You need to pray. I need a time to play, pray. I need a place to pray. I need a, my, a, a, a right motive to pray. I need to understand the character of God. I I need to understand my access to God. To pray apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God will never do. I need the promises of God to plead before the Spirit of God. That the Son of God, Jesus Christ, could be glorified. That's God the Father's desire. He wants a vehicle. He wants an instrument. But you have to see it. And once you see it, you believe it. <laughs> I think in closing, of a fellow who was doing a little exploring down by the seashore, and he saw a cave. And uh, he went into that cave, and there he saw a, a canvas bag, and they had some, some clay balls in that bag, maybe uh, 50 or 60 of them. And they were just balls, and so he, he picked the bag up and took it out and went down by the seashore and as he was walking along with his clay bag he just you know like I would do probably like you would do just pick one of those clay balls up and just see how far he could throw it out in the sea out in the water and out in the waves and as he was walking along and he had thrown many of those clay balls out there one of them dropped and hit a stone and it cracked open and when it cracked open He saw a shiny gem. And all of a sudden he realized what was inside that clay ball. He opened others and in each one of those clay balls was a gem. And he realized then that he had thrown several thousands of dollars worth of gems and clay balls because they were just clay balls to him until he saw that Someone up there in that cave had put in each one of those clay balls for some reason a precious gem, a diamond, whatever else. Do You know, as I think of life's journey, often we see the opportunity, whether it's prayer or whatever it might be, is just a clay ball. Yeah, I can pray or I don't have to pray. I can see it as an opportunity or I can see it as a drag in my life. But once I discover that prayer is the avenue that God has given to you and to me to meet in the holy of holies, the throne room of heaven, I have access to that place. It is not a clay ball. It is a place where God has given gems that for all eternity I will probably regret that I spent so little time thinking that my hours and wasted opportunities on earth were just clay balls when really they were gems of opportunity. I must pray. God invites me to pray. The first prayer that I can pray is God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm not your child I know that I'm not worthy of heaven but Lord I believe that you died on the cross of Calvary for all my sins and Lord I want to trust you with my load of sin maybe you're like Vernon you have prayed to God about everything but your sin but that moment that sailor Vernon prayed to Jesus Christ about his sin entrusted the Lord of glory with that load of sin and he went free if that's your case he's waiting for you to pray you have access to him through Jesus Christ but if you're his child oh dear friend of mine would carry North Carolina needs more than anything else is for you to pray for your neighbor For your friend, for that one that you think is impossible, for me, for missions to military, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is being witnessed around the world. God's ordained method is prayer. You can meet at that throne. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the truth is so simple and yet we confess so mysteriously that we can miss the opportunity afforded us of the great privilege on planet earth of being your child and interceding for a world, for people needs through the avenue prayer so Lord Jesus oh God I would pray that you would help people your children to realize afresh that what we're talking about is not just clay balls they're gems of opportunity I can throw them into the sea or I can cherish them Make them mine. Do that for Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.